wants to jump. 1,000 cars. Sir, you have a 1,000 cars. I don't think I'd attempt to try this stunt. Or we, we, we owe this horsepower to Uncle Sam. <laughs> Too many cars. Car. You know, roses would be... Uh... Like, I put my beer belly on it. Yeah. And you can't immediately tell somebody how many cars you have. You'll really give those uppity yuppies something to think about. Stay on the bar. Don't go yeah. off the bar with your Bronco. 1980 Volvo horns, what's right? Like, me, me. Yeah, the man's coolant. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I thought it'd be small. It's for a small car. And I'm like, yeah, but it's, it's still an automatic transmission. They're never going to be light. It's definitely going to have to crash. Starting off with Brad buying another car. That's the West. <laughs> Internet. You know, is this a Nigerian oil print? Uh, I also wish you drove a tan Camry. Anyways, anyway, that, that's har- a horrible, very horrible podcast content. Very inside joke. Hello, and welcome to Auto Off Topic. What's going on, Brad? Oh, not much, Andrew. Good evening to you. Yeah. Um, cool. What, um, I don't know. You get some Project Car updates? We'll right into it. Not even. I mean, doing, I don't know what else we not got. Not even what's going on. Not even nothing. You're just all about business. Yeah. I mean, I was trying to avoid talking about the weather, but we can. I mean, it. Nah, not the rains every weekend, and I'll get to that in my events. Well, your future events, hopefully next weekend, will be nice. Um, nope, not looking good. I'll talk about that. It's Monday. You got you're fine. It'll be fine. Um, yeah, weather in Phoenix is the actually Andrew. I can have a quick conversation about the weather here because I was in the rain this weekend. Oh, it rained? It rained. Like a sprinkle? No, no, no. It was real, real, like, real rain. It wasn't in Phoenix. It was a little further north, but we'll get to that too. Uh, About 160 miles by road and about 7,000 foot in elevation change. So... I guess that is a good place to start about some project car updates before we rant about anything else. So, yeah, how'd you get the there? Reason, the reason I was up north uh, was for an event that we'll discuss in a minute. And that particular event required, or didn't require, I guess, but it is a vintage Japanese car event, which is obviously right up my alley. And I've talked about it in here a few times, getting ready for it. But I did some prep work for getting up there with the Corolla. So, obviously, uh, the saga of the Corolla was I tried to get it ready to ship to the Pacific Northwest for our giant road trip and did not get it ready. So this was kind of a mini, I guess you'd say like a mini, as a word I was looking for, but we'll call it a makeup trip. It's not the word I was looking sure. for. Sure. I mean, yeah, stand in. I, I know you wanted to rent a Rogue, but you decided to use the Corolla instead. I'm a Rogue guy, you know. So you are just going rogue. It makes it makes sense now. I'm definitely. I've I've I'm done trying to defend my position on the rogue as an okay car, and I'm just going to lean full into that I'm a rogue guy. So it's fine. I sorry, get everybody. It. Uh, there's a whole collection of weird, esoteric, old stuff for sale to fund a new rogue purchase. So yep. And since a rogue my wasn't first, available to rent, my first project car update the rogue. My first project update for the rogue will be underglow and uh, losing one up gap. Just to and the rest of my what, tall to my brothers. What about the black ice air fresheners? 
Oh, of course. Yes. Of course. Yeah. And there will be a sticker on the back that says uh, 100% bitch. I'm proud <laughs> of it. So I just need to fit in with the rest of my rogue brethren. Uh, anyway, yeah, so I fixed the Corolla. I finished the Corolla. Well, I guess finish isn't the word. I, I got the Corolla to the stage where I was hoping to get it for the trip to the Pacific Northwest. So what basically it required was the adjustment of the front suspension. I had pretty much installed it as is when I first put it in and needed to go through the finite adjustments of the coilovers and the steering and the camber. Um, I'm not going to sit here and say the car is a proper on a wheel machine or or an alignment rack alignment, but it tracks straight and I drove it all those miles this weekend and didn't chunk the tires. So I'll call that a win enough for now. And then I eventually will get it to a proper alignment shop once I have the pan hard bar installed in the rear so that I can, you know, triangulate everything properly at an alignment shop. So, um, I was able to adjust the suspension. Uh, I've never owned a car with coilovers before, Andrew, and I know you have had a few now. Everyone's a little bit different, I think, though. Uh, I remember you having like a set of locking keys or like, like an adjusting wrench that get kind of wrapped around the base of the coil. I think that's how yours were, if I remember correctly, on your cars. Yeah, it depends on the if it's a McPherson strut or you've got... The shocks are built into the spindles, right? So it's a little different. No, it's a strut style. It's a standard McPherson style strut. Oh, I thought it had spindles in the front. No. Well, it's got... So there's a spindle on the bottom. No, 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 no. Nope. The bottom of the the spindle is built into the, the lower assembly. And then the strut tube is welded to the back of that. So it's a McPherson. Um, what? Yeah. No. Yes. McPherson has the separate knuckle. I think this is an old Japanese car. Yeah. And you're you're talking about repacking the front bearings. Sure. It has a different kind of bearing. It has a, doesn't have a bolt on bearing. Yeah, it's a that's like a it's like a spindle with a strut. It's almost like a kingpin. I don't want to argue on the podcast, but I think that it's still considered a McPherson style because it's it functions exactly the same. I guess, yeah, I just don't consider it's not modern and I don't could I can It's, it's not modern, piece. but it's definitely a McPherson. And it would Definitely adjust differently than other ones where you can spin the lower collar because that bolts to the knuckle. That's how you adjust the height on mine. Sure. But the design itself is definitely considered McPherson. I'm I'm having a hard time understanding what else I would even describe it as because that's what it is. It's 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 just a a coilover shock. With the spindle attached to it, it doesn't. It has like there's a multi-link front suspension. It, I, to me, it's not a McPherson strut. McPherson strut so, like gets rid of a lot of the links. The reason yeah. to have links. So what links don't I have? I have a lower control arm with a ball joint that attaches. You to don't. The, is to it like chassis. a? Is it a? A arm or is it just a control arm? 
with, just with tension one. rods. It's a controller with tension rods. Yeah, it's a different it's suspension control. setup. But that's okay. Keep going. Well, I'm literally looking at a picture of McPherson strut right now, like the description of McPherson strut. It's a single control arm with a ball joint and tension rods. And then the only attaching points are the ball joint at the bottom and the strut top at the top. And that's it. That's that's what defines the McPherson design. So anyway, we'll have to uh, dig, dig a little deeper into this in the future. But the adjusting collars on this, on the lower uh, spring seats, are held in place with a set screw. So you dial back the set screw when you have the front suspension unloaded so the car jacked up and you can spin the collar to raise or lower the spring. So the adjustable part of the uh, shock tube is attached to the top of the knuckle and it has the the threads on it. So I was able to just count up how many threads equaled one inch because I figured I wanted to lower it about one inch or maybe a little bit less based on where it was sitting. And I was like, well, one inch is, I don't really remember now. We'll just say for argument's sake, 10 threads. So I wound it down about eight threads and then count up threads in the bottom and lowered it, uh, worked out to about 0.92 or something on my, my, uh, my measuring device. So I was able to, Make both sides seem about the same, uh, counting up the amount of threads from the bottom of the the base of the adjusting section to where how the collar stack. How tall was this? What's that? Like how you're counting the threads? Like how tall is it? And how coarse are the threads? Not very coarse. They're pretty pretty fine. Have you seen pictures? Okay. Have you guys seen pictures of it? I'll we'll have to no I'll have no because I like for me if I did it on mine I'd be counting like. 40 threads or more for an inch completely impractical to do an inch. Anyway. No, like I thought you're measure like you're counting the threads from like where it welds the knuckle to the lower spring part to like make them even. Yes. I'm, I was saying 10 for argument's sake. I don't remember how many it was. It was oh, I just, it was probably 28 or something. Yeah, I guess I, I just measure stuff and then just lower it an inch. Well, I measured it, but I wanted to get it exactly the same on both sides. And I figured I could count the threads easier than because they're the same. Anyway, it's it's the process I used. And then when I was done and I put it, it on the ground you, it and I measured everything and it all worked out evenly. So everything is good. And then I took a tape measure and took it from the, the middle of the fender on both sides. And it's exactly the same. So life is good. The car sits flat. It drives straight. Everything's good. Pedantic argument about what the suspension design is or not. Um, is all good. So it's uh, it's on the ground. It drives straight. It goes down the road properly. Um, whatever. It is fine. So anyway, it still has probably... I could go two more inches down if I wanted to, but then... Oh, okay. Yeah, if I went two more inches down, then the frame rails would be on the ground probably. So I'm not doing that. So Actually, the frame rails would be on the ground, but it'd be very low. So I have about Miata guy with a Raceland coilovers. How low can it go? Yeah. See, I'm not doing that. I have tons of movement left. I wanted to make it drivable because I was taking it on a long road trip. So after that, I did install the T three or techno toy tuning shifter assembly. Um, It's super chunky compared to the original one. 
the base that it mounts onto the top of the transmission is probably a half inch or so thick, whereas the factory one is probably like a sixteenth to an eighth of an inch thick. So it's got a nice positive engagement on the transmission. It's way shorter, obviously, and all brand new bushings and springs inside. It's super tight. I mean, I've driven some other cars, some modern cars with like nice short throw shifters installed, like S2000s and Miatas. And it lacks a little bit of the precision because of the transmission, I'm sure, of like an S2000. But the shifter feel really has that like, what you describe it as like the schnick schnick in between gears. Um, and it's super, super like positive feeling. There is no more stirring the bowl of soup with a spoon with the shifter handle on this thing. It's uh, it's a really, really good setup. Um, I've never done a single modification on a car that has made as big of a difference as this did. And this is in stages, because if you remember, like, I don't know, six months ago or so, I rebuilt the factory shifter, so it actually wasn't nearly as terrible as it was before. And then this is that much of an improvement over the rebuilt factory shifter that it's absurd how good it is. So, suspension taken care of, car track straight, new shifter inside, didn't oil change because it was due, and then I headed up the hill to Williams, Arizona. Uh, it's about 130 or so miles from here, so it was probably, we did about 260 miles, plus or minus, uh, plus, because we had some extra driving there. So, say 300 miles this weekend in the car. Um, I... 300 miles would have been punishing in that car pre repairs of everything and near impossible. Yeah. The the car is totally changed. Totally changed. Um, The, I guess the limitation of the car is that at the end of the day, it is still a 1980 Toyota Corolla that has been lowered about three inches all around. So, it doesn't have the ultimate travel for ultimate comfort. <laughs> and when moving at speed in some of the uh, less populated or less less maintained northern Arizona roads that have some pretty good dips and whoops, uh, there was some, we never bottomed out, but there were a couple of harsher moments. But overall, most things, it just went over with, with ease. Uh, the first time we noticed a big, you know, bump in the road, we both kind of, you know, cringed as we looked at it and then the car just kind of went boom, boom, right over it and we were like oh well that was nice <laughs> i'll take that so yeah it was overall very pleasant to drive and any car that's lowered at the end of the day is gonna ride a little harsher than a car that's not so it's uh 100 acceptable the shifter shifts amazing the car ran great i was also nervous because we were going to seven thousand feet and it's carbureted and it's never been beyond in my ownership, or actually, I don't think in any of the previous ownerships beyond sea level to a thousand feet here in the uh, Phoenix area. So it runs good down here, but I was afraid that 7,000 feet, it wouldn't run great, but we probably averaged 75 miles an hour most of the way. And a lot of that being uphill on the way there. And we got a solid 25 miles a gallon climbing the hill and coming home. We got probably a little bit over 30. So I'll take nice. it. Yeah, I can't, can't complain about that. Didn't even get hot going up the hill. And we left Friday when the temperature was still probably 101 degrees. Um, I mean, obviously, as you climb, the temp drops. 
but there were other cars that were climbing the hill that were struggling and pulled over and we were just bombing by in our 44, 43 year old Toyota um, with the temperature gauge just like a little bit above where it normally is, but not in any kind of shape of danger. So car was great. I, I have zero complaints about the car. Um, and I unlocked a new uh, car show bonus that I didn't know about before. What's that? So we always make fun of lawn chair people at car shows. Not make fun of, but poke fun at, I guess. In in good fun. Um, this was an all-day car show, so we did bring a lawn yeah. chair with us. So it's fine. Sure. Not like a cruise night. But uh, station wagon life at a car show is the way. Because you can yeah. put the hatch up and sit on the back, and you have your own little built-in shade surface because the hatch blocks the sun. And then you can put mm-hmm. your little chair in the shade behind it, and then the other person can sit in the hatch, and you can enjoy your little picnic lunch in the back of the car. Mm-hmm. So that is a uh, car show uh, car show pro tip for yep. station wagon owners. Running but, all the pictures. You know... <laughs> I was going to bring that up. up for Brad. I was going to bring that up. Um, I was trying to take pictures of this particular show. Uh, somehow we lost our 50 millimeter prime lens that morning. Uh, don't worry. It did turn up at the end of the day, but we lost it between leaving the hotel in the morning and getting to the show. Um, Man, that should live on your camera. It should live on the camera, but... Unfortunately, I wasn't using it last time I used the camera lens. So, <sighs> yeah, it usually is on the camera. <laughs> anyway, so I didn't get any pictures with the 50 millimeter prime lens at the event because I didn't find the lens until we got back to the hotel afterwards. Uh, some At some point along the line, it was in its little neoprene lens case, and I had clipped it to the side of the backpack, and one of us must have unclipped it because there's no way for it to unclip itself. And it rolled out of the seat, and we just never found it. So didn't find it till I hit the brakes, and it rolled out from the front. So all day long, thinking I lost a lens, which, believe it or not, Andrew, I looked up how much they cost now because I thought I had to buy a new one, and they're 170 bucks now. Whoa, they're almost double price. Almost, yeah. I was like, man, of course I lost it. So anyway, I found it, but too late. Um, that being said, this was a... A car show that had a category for best engine bay. So, yep. I was a little like I didn't put my hood up because my engine bay is second from worst engine bay at best. But I didn't put my hood up, and I was mad that all of the nice cars had their hoods up. Yeah, ruining all the pictures. But then I was like, well, they have a category literally like best engine bay. And I'm not a trophy person when it comes to cars. So I don't care about that stuff, but people do. And if you're encouraging a trophy for best engine bay, what are people going to do? They're going to show their engine, which is going to have their hood up. So I was a little annoyed by it. And then as I was walking around the show, this one particular person was talking on their phone to somebody. And it looked like they were doing like a video chat and they were pointing their phone out into the like, look at the cars around them. And the lady goes, 
Yeah, well, some people don't have their engine bay up because they're probably embarrassed. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, ah, you would be good friends with Scott. (laughs) So, um, inside joke for Discord members. Uh, Anyway, it was a good time, regardless of the engines being exposed and the hoods not being closed. Um, The other issue was they had put orange cones up for traffic. And the orange cones also spoiled pictures. So it was not a great event for photographs. It was a good event for seeing cool cars and talking to cool people and getting an excuse to drive the car up into a you know nice area of Arizona. So I'll take it at that. There are some pictures. Um, I was volunteered at the end to take all the winner's photos. So all the people standing next to the car holding their trophies. Um, I did take a few trophies, trophies, excuse me, a few pictures during the event. So those will start coming up. You'll see them on the uh, Arizona Japanese Classic Car Site and the uh, Instagram page. And the Route 66 JDM Classic Instagram page will have all those eventually. Plus, obviously, a few on my page as well. But So there'll be some pictures, but not as many as I would have liked. So also not having the 50mm prime lens, I didn't have a good lens to do detail shots which would have been perfect in a car show with all the hoods up and orange cones everywhere. But what can we say? Looking forward to next year now at this point, because I got to make up for it. So first Saturday in October next year, market calendars, save the date. The uh, event is scheduled and uh, it's going, it's going to happen. So might as well get right into it. A couple of uh, highlights of the show. A first-generation Nissan Silvia. So, what's that chassis called, Andrew? Uh, S... S13? Is that what you're talking about? No, 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 no. Like, 1970. Oh, uh, don't ask me. This is you. Yeah. Yeah. Screw it. SP311? I don't know. Car we never got here? I don't know anything about it. No, we didn't get it here. Uh, CSP three eleven, ah, so close. Sure, so, C three C three PO car. C three PO. So yeah, nineteen sixty six Nissan Silvia CSP three eleven. It's basically, which I did not know how the car was constructed. Um, it's a handmade sheet metal body that was put over a what? Datsun road a Datsun Roadster chassis. Oh, okay, that makes a lot of sense because I mean that was kind of the earliest one of the earliest cars was the Roadster. Well, one of the earliest cars that we know of is the Roadster. Well, I mean, what was the first Nissans that were sold here? Was basically the Roadsters? One sold here. That's why I say the persons that we know are the Roadsters for sure. Because they didn't Um, really have anything else for a while, I think. Well, they had... So Nissan's history in the United States goes back to 1958. Yep. They had some pretty stodgy looking sedans and whatnot they sold here. Um I think that I think they were called Bluebirds elsewhere in the world, and here they just had a model number. Uh, I'm a little rusty on early Nissan dots in history, but they were basically they, they, little carbon copies of Morris cars. They had what almost looked like a Japanese version of a BMC A series engine, very similar body lines. In fact, they were so rudimentary that they had a hole in the front valance that went right to the crank, and you could put a hand crank in and start them that way if you wanted. In 1958. They must be so rare. Uh, there were five or six of them there. Really? Yeah. 
Yep. Yeah, five or, the five or six that are left. Yeah, well, there's not many of them, of course, but the ones that are there are there. So I do have some pictures of those too. But anyway, so the Datsun Roadster was there, was Nissan's first like little sports car. And the Sylvia was their um, coupe version of such car. I don't know how many were made, not very many. I know there's a few in this country. Uh, you would probably know what it is when I tell you that most of them are like a light green color. You'll probably remember the picture in your head yeah. pretty much right away. So this uh, is one of those foamy green color yep. kind of. This is one of those light green cars. Um, mm-hmm. It's in the uh, ownership hands of a, a friend of mine right now who's doing some restoration work on it. And I was talking to him about it while we were up there and getting a little bit of history of the car and where it came from. You know, once it obviously left Japan and it was in Florida forever. And I was like, huh. I said, I wonder if it's the same one that I saw back in 2005 in Atlanta at the uh, Walter Mitty uh, vintage races. And he goes, yeah, hundred percent. He goes, that was definitely there. He goes, it was there in 05. They said it was parked next to a Toyota S800. And I was like, yep, sure was. Uh, pouring rain weekend he goes yeah i was there that year i was like that's totally random because i have no idea who you are at that point and i was also there that year and neither of us are anywhere near atlanta so <laughs> we were both there what's there. really weird is like you can't remember stuff that happened last week sometimes but you remember that so, i don't want to make this a podcast about adhd but uh <laughs> no, that's pretty so... much what's happening right here <laughs> like man i <laughs> Yes, this exact car, 3,000 well, miles away. That's the amount of impact that a car like this has on somebody who's a giant car nerd like myself. You know, never having been able to see one in person and then just walking up to one that's in the middle of a field with no ropes around it and you can just walk right up to it, look at it and take pictures of it. And it was sitting there right next to, like I said, a, a Toyota S800, which also at the time I had never seen. So it was very impactful seeing the two cars together. And all these years later, I remembered it. And I remembered when I saw it and where I saw it. And Greg also remembered where it was at that time because he was also there because he was friends with the owner of the car at the time. So both of us were just in the same spot, passing in the night, had no idea who each other were. And here we are 17 years later as friends, uh, reliving a moment of time that we didn't know each other, but we shared which that's a cool thing about cars in general, isn't it? Like all these cool memories and stuff. So, yeah. And to me, the early, early Japanese stuff that showed up in this country in the United States is like pretty interesting because it's like, yeah, how does it still exist? Right. Well, that car, no love for them. That car was imported here sometime, I think in the nineties. Yeah. So it, it was, it was already an old car when it came here. Um, they're pretty special looking cars. You know, any sports car enthusiast would probably look at it and think it was Italian. Um, I mean, it was, I guess this probably was going to ruin my saying it's Italian because it was designed by the same guy who drew the 507 for BMW, which is one of mm. the most gorgeous cars of all time. Um, so anyway, he was working with Nissan and Yamaha to build this particular car back in the 60s. So anyway, wild car. Uh, I looks like 554 were ever made between 1965 and 1968. So 
There's not very many. <laughs> and I've, I was going to say I've seen two, but actually I have seen two. I've seen two because Nissan has one that goes on, to, on tour all the time that actually belongs to a friend of the show, Myron. So, oh, okay. Yep. So if you see the one that Nissan displays, it actually belongs to Myron. So, okay. <laughs> yep. That so also I, tracks. I don't know how many more in this country, but, uh, those are, there are at least two and they're both that seafoam green color. So and I think Myron's has Watanabe's on it. And this one here is stock up caps. So regardless, very cool looking car. Um, they were the other aforementioned early Datsuns that were there. Uh, I, I know little to nothing about them. Um, I know that they they exist and they were American market cars somehow. Um, I assume that the West Coast is better for survival of Datsuns in this country, but they're here and they're cool looking. I mean, maybe they're not cool looking. They're interesting looking. They have like a two-door, a four-door, and a pickup truck all based on the same basic design from the late 50s into the early 60s. I don't know which year vehicles were here at the show, but they were definitely that like first generation of Datsuns sold in the United States. Uh, a couple of Datsun 411s were there, which is the car that eventually became the 510. It was a little bit smaller, a little bit rounder. It has some more Italian-looking lines to it. Um, there was a early 70s Datsun Bluebird SSS, which is super cool. Uh, one of not very many ever. <laughs> And potentially, there's some weird history with this car. It might be actually a, a quote-unquote prototype from Nissan. Um, it's a true SSS two-door. It's an all-original car, original paint, original interior. like, And it's stunningly beautiful. Um, it was a triple-carb car factory because the SSS was the triple-carb inline six, I think. Or, sorry, dual-carb inline four because it's a bluebird. Um, mm. Yeah, it's also... A couple minor mods, had some suspension parts done to it, and also sitting on some brand new, perfect Fitman Watanabe's. Uh, and then everything up to 300ZX's and third gen RX-7's. So it was a great show. Um, it didn't bring any Mitsubishi again this year, and I regret it again this year because I would have walked away with best Mitsubishi by default. But it's so weird. <laughs> Just like none are there. Midway through the show, a car rolled through that was like a, a second-gen DSM turbo convertible, but it was junk, and it wasn't in the show. It was just a local driving through. So the way the show takes place, it takes place in uh, Williams, Arizona. Williams, Arizona has the distinction of being the last town bypassed by the 40. So it existed the latest into the Route 66 history, um, and it leans heavily into that for tourism. You know, there's a bunch of little shops that sell Route 66 memorabilia. There's a restaurant in town called Cruisers that has, you know, a car theme, and it's, like, hmm. very, like, doo-woppy looking inside. Um, so it's Radiator Springs. It's, yeah, it's one of the inspiration towns for Radiator Springs, for sure. Uh, in fact, that, um, I, I guess we've probably all seen on the internet the, like, late forties pickup truck that was merged together with a Pontiac Grand Am and an Oldsmobile Alero. Yeah. 
Um, it lives and, and it was done up now. Somebody bought it on the internet and did it up in a uh, a combination of Lightning McQueen and Tomater. Yeah. It lives now in Williams at a store there. Oh, uh, that's weird. Yeah. So you just walk up. There it is. That's that famous internet meme truck car. And uh, it's it's just there at a, uh, a memorabilia store that has a bunch of old cars out front. Most of them are Shea Roadsters, which I think I delved into deep here before Shea Roadsters. They're the 1970s. Yeah, the Model A thing. Yeah, the 1970s Model A's that are based on Pintos. Yeah. So they have like so weird. four or five Shea Roadsters, and they have that abomination of a Alero Grand Am international pickup truck. So, but yeah, no, it's it's a it's a cool town, and uh, it's recommended if you're ever in the northern Arizona area. It's not far from another great tourist place here called Jerome. It's probably thirty minutes or so from there, um, maybe, maybe a little more. But it's a good it's a good spot. Uh, they also have a steam engine. That uh, like, an old, like an antique like eighteen hundred steam engine that runs through the town sometimes. So very neat, just kind of like Americana kind of place. Um, it's probably cheesy, but I don't know. It uh, it's charming, I guess. <laughs> a lot of good little a lot of good little restaurants too. We had really really good dinner a couple different nights up there. So good spot, good spot. And it's an escape from the heat of Phoenix because while it was Still, you know, 102 or so here up there, it was 48 degrees overnight. Um, and on the second night we were there, it it rained biblical levels of rain and was cold and just actually felt kind of like New England in October. <laughs> so it was mm-hmm. nice. Plus the changing colors of the trees are up there, too. So maybe that gets a little more of the October New England stuff. Anyway, it was a rad show. It's a good show every year. Uh, this year, it happened to fall the same day as the date for JCCS, which made mm-hmm. everybody a little bit nervous. Um, the JDM, the Route sixty six JDM show has had the same weekend since its since its inception in two thousand and eleven. So they're like, well, unfortunately, we're not going to like try to get a hold of the town and petition the town. And change the date of our show just because JCCS scheduled for the same day. Uh, the organizers of the Williams show made it clear during the announcements afterwards during the awards that there's no ill will or animosity towards the JCCS crowd, and that you know they're very friendly and there's no competition. But uh, it just happened to be that the town of Long Beach didn't have any other dates available, and they were like, "You either do it this day or you don't do it at all." So that's what happened this year. So they're in talks already to not have it happen that way next year. So we were a little nervous uh, because of, you know, JCCS is a big draw. And we were afraid that it would pull a good bit of the crowd away from Williams. And, you know, Williams, at the end of the day, is a charity show. So you want to make sure that you make all your money for charity, right? Um, it raises money for an organization called Raising Special Kids Arizona. Uh, which is a organization that helps families that have special needs children, uh, both financially and uh, through different programs and stuff. So it's a great organization to raise money for, and you don't want everything to go away and go to some other show in California that's actually, I'm pretty sure, not for anything but profit. <laughs> so 
thankfully it didn't do too bad. Um, car count was down maybe 5% from last year. So it didn't have a huge impact. I do know a lot of locals that did go to JCCS instead. Um, and like I said, no, no ill will to them at all. It's just, uh, it was a choice to make. And I made the choice to support, you know, the local show because a it's local, it's way less work than driving all the way to LA and back. Uh, and it supports charity and it's run by a friend. So it was, the decision was made to go there. So, and we even had classic Japanese car celebrity there. So he chose Williams over, um, going to, uh, JCCS as well. So I don't know if you remember the show JDM legends on motor trend. Yeah. But, uh, Josh was there from JDM Legends. Oh, okay. So, yep. Also, former uh, first-gen Montero Raider owner. So <laughs> we've known him since before he was famous. <laughs> but super nice guy. Chatted with him for a bit. Haven't seen him in a few years, so that was nice. But yeah, it was a good time. Good show. Can't wait for next year. Hopefully it's a different weekend from JCCS, and I can have two big Japanese car weekends to have to scramble and get a car ready for. Yeah, the pictures I saw, all the Mitsubishis were at JCCS. Yeah, yeah, it was a big turnout of JCCS pictures this year. You know, I was... <sighs> pictures, Mitsubishis. I was saying to Naomi on Saturday night after the show was over and before we went out to dinner, we kind of like had just like that relaxing moment back at the hotel where you just kind of lay down and take your shoes off for a few minutes because it's been a long day. Scrolling through my Instagram feed and realizing that we live in a time right now where... There are two shows that are dedicated to 25-year-old Japanese cars. Yeah. And they both happened on the same day within four and a half hours drive of each other. And they were both super successful. This has gone from literally being this like niche thing that you and I and a few other people were part of back in the day. You know, I think back to like 2003 or four on the early days of the Japanese nostalgic car forums, you know, we were few and far between. There weren't that many of us. The cars just weren't recognized. And here we are 10 to 15 years later, I guess that's almost 20 years later. Here we are 20 years later and it's a huge thing. Like I said, big enough that we have two shows the same day and they both worked out. And they both had rad stuff at them. Like, it wasn't like one suffered from the other. It was, it was a big successful weekend for both events. So, it's super cool to see that. I mean, it it represents a huge shift in collector car culture. And I don't know. I want to be a bit hipster about it. I'm glad to have been there from the beginning. I guess. Do I sometimes wish the cars were still dirt cheap like they were before? Sure, but I guess dirt cheap cars makes them not survive. So. Mm-hmm. we'll take it but yeah it was a hell of a weekend and the car like i said ran great so everything went about as perfectly as it could except for losing my lens but i found it so life is good anyway that's uh that's my weekend in a nutshell andrew what uh what have you done since the last recording uh i went with uh, our friend Jordan and Andy of Iron Oxide Racing. Uh, and they went to, so the SCCA 
in 2015, I think, started the Rally Sprint program. And then the beginning of this year, they were just like, yeah, we're not doing that anymore. Sorry. All you rally people. For those who don't know, the Rally Sprint program is a short form stage rally, basically. It kind of bridges the gap between a rally cross and a full stage rally. Think of track day, but for rally cars. Yeah. Yeah. Roads. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, to be fair, I don't think, you know, I'll be a little objective here. I think they were our local New England region has probably one of the largest rally portions out of the whole country for the SCCA. Very strong rally cross program, a lot of rally drivers. It's just a New England thing to have rally. Yeah, um, as somebody who's now experienced uh, a little bit deeper into a different region's rally program, I would say you are correct. Yeah, one of the one of the strongest regions. And the other problem with rally sprints is there's not really facilities elsewhere to do a rally sprint because you need roads that are dirt. Uh, and we are fortunate that in New Hampshire, we have a closed, uh, rally. Well, it's not, uh, it's a closed course that you can use at Tim O'Neill rally school. So it's an enclosed piece of private property that has rally roads on it. So there's no need to close off public roads to do a rally sprint. So really the conditions almost only work here. Yeah, I mean, there's a rally school in Texas, Florida, and Washington, too, aren't there? They are. I don't know what they're like. I've never been there. I don't know how good their roads are. From what I hear, the one in Washington is really nice. And I bet, I bet that um, this program might be seen there. Because I think that, I think that the Pacific Northwest rally people and, like, the Detroit area rally people are also pretty strong groups. Um, And I could see that also helping there. Well, here's the thing, though. SCCA doesn't do rally sprints anymore. Right. They said they just weren't going to do them anymore. Um, And our local rally people that have been in the sport for a long time that do all the organizing uh, worked really hard. They worked with another local sports car club, the Sports Car Club of New Hampshire, which I've run autocrosses with before. Uh, They're a cool little club. As have I. I remember doing one many years ago in the front parking lot of Storyland. Uh, with That those was guys. actually the main sports car club. Oh, it's Cumberland Motor Club? Cumberland, yep. Okay, never mind. But, but they're I've all kind of affiliated. SC, yeah, I've also done SEC NH stuff. Yep. Uh, which I'll get to another thing uh, about them. So they also partner with the Vermont Sports Car Club and do a lot of hill climbs. So like closed area events are not a new thing for them, but they were able to get insurance and sponsor what is now known as gravel trials, which is kind of like it's, I like it because it reminds me of what you see out of Japan. When you go on like YouTube, there's old gravel trial videos of people running like NSXs and stuff. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so anyway, it's basically the same thing, different name. Same people. Uh, And um, they hadn't done one in like a while. So everybody was itching to get some rallying going, especially after uh, having Nefer cut short. 
Um, and actually, the weekend before this was Aaron's memorial service. So everybody was ready to get back to playing with cars. And um, yeah, it has rained almost every weekend here since March. And this past weekend was no different. It it like rained a little bit on Saturday going up. And then it's also peak leaf peeping time. So Oh, I didn't think about the traffic issue. Well, traffic wasn't a problem. Lodging was a problem. Okay. We couldn't get lodging anywhere. So luckily, uh, a few of our friends had access to RVs. So we stayed in the Walmart parking lot up there overnight. Ah, so a, a beautiful place to see the New England foliage. Uh, it actually wasn't. It was actually pretty fun because we, I, <laughs> we, the weather was like decent. And we're like sitting there hanging out. It's like 70 degrees. I mean, this is like we're like an hour and a half from the Canadian border. So and I'm sitting there. I'm like said to someone else. I was like, actually, I said to Dan Fouquet. He was on our podcast. He, he drove up my Washington on that episode. And I was like, man, it's like really nice out here, right? He's like, yeah. And then uh, maybe 10 minutes later, the wind shifted and it was like this massive storm rolled through <laughs> we like scrambled to get everything picked up and put in the RV. And then it just downpoured all night. And at least you weren't camping in tents. Yeah. It was actually like, I'm glad we didn't camp at a camp site and had like tents and stuff. Um, so the next day it's still pouring. <laughs> we go over to Tim O'Neill and naturally, uh, it's a school to teach rally driving. So the roads are not are purposely they're loose gravel, but the material that they use is like a very fine gravel clay kind of mix because without like big rocks in it, because obviously it doesn't want to break the school cars and you want it to be easy to be like grade and stuff. But the problem is when it rains, like the top part is like turns into like pudding like the consistency of like over wet cement. Cause I'm pretty sure that the base that we were working with was only a few ingredients off of being cement. Like maybe there wasn't enough lime in it or something. Okay. So uh, it was cause like I slippery, I greasy. Yeah. It's cause I cleaned my boots off afterwards and they just smelt like cement. <laughs> so yeah, we were just walking around in like a half inch to an inch of mud everywhere. Well, that sounds fun. Like you would, the base was like really stiff. So you wouldn't like sink like to a point, but the top level was just like, just like super gross. That sounds uh, fun. We basically, I was there to like crew for like Jordan's car, Andy's car, our other friends, Luke and Garrett or Garnet. And they were, everybody was like, you know what? If we break anything major, we're just putting the car in the trailer. <laughs> like it was just too muddy. Like <laughs> unless we like had to change a flat, we weren't. We just decided we weren't going to do anything. Like if the cars are running fine, we'll check like the wheel torque, and then just if they feel all right, just keep going. <laughs> like nobody's crawling underneath anything. Just too damn muddy. Yeah, just let it be. Um, but it was uh. Eventually, it actually stopped raining around nine and the sun came out. 
it was still muddy. It was still slick. But, you know, they finished. Uh, Andy and his co-driver Ryan uh, podiumed. And, uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. I saw that. Solid third place for, was it his first event out or second event? It might have been his first or second. Uh, it was his second. Either way, solid effort from Andy, and that's awesome because he didn't even have a rally car pre-pandemic, and he just decided to go in full on. And uh, he bought a built yeah. car, as everybody recommends, and uh, spent time. I don't, I don't cheapen it saying he bought a built car and ran it because he didn't. He'd do a ton of work to said built car in order to make it competitive now, but he's done it and uh, super proud of the man. Good uh, good on Andy for, for doing that. So, yeah, the problem when I go to these, I'm like, oh, I really want a rally car. I'm like, I really want a rally car, but I can only use it like. I guess I could do track days with it too, but I could use it here. Sure. I'm like, ah, then I got to get a trailer. And then I'm like, I mean, I'm I'm looking at the cars afterwards and I'm like, yeah, I'm glad I don't have to clean these cars. Famously, um, at least on this podcast, famously, our, uh, our friend Vinny once drove a rally car all the way to a rally in Canada and back without a trailer. So you don't need a trailer. So that car is still kicking around. I saw that car was there, actually. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's actually a lot more sorted now. Um, and he took uh, fastest full drive. Awesome. Yeah. Representing the Mitsubishi crowd. Well, do we know who? Drives yeah, it I actually kind of liked it without all the body cladding on it. it looks kind of cool. Yeah. They look more purposeful as a rally car because they don't have that low look to them. Yeah. But also, I really like the cladding on the talons. So. I mean, I think it needed the spoiler back on it, but the cladding without the cladding, it'd be all right. Had that real fast base model look going. Yeah. So yeah, that was cool. Uh, other than the rain, did Jordan's then, car finish? Uh, yeah, good. So they actually ended up with like two minutes of penalties, which is kind of why. Andy podium. <laughs> yeah, doesn't matter. Because uh, there's a, a mistake in the notes, I guess, that they they went counterclockwise when they should have went clockwise around like a turnaround. Well, at the end of the day, Andy did make the same mistake, so that makes him better that day, and he wins. Sorry, yeah. Jordan. That's just how that's how how life works. But you know who lost? You and I, because we didn't even have rally cars. So, I mean, I hung out with people, so I didn't lose. That's true. I got to see some rally stuff. It's been a while. The um, I do miss the New England Rally crowd. Um, you know, not making it out there the past few years for New England Forest Rally, and obviously being too far to be involved in the other stuff. Um, I do miss I do miss everybody. So I'll get back there for something. Yeah, I got to see everything, and uh, <laughs> so like I, the VP of Sports Car Club New Hampshire came out, and um, you know these events usually go pretty smooth. And of course, <laughs> this is the first one in a while. Two people rolled their cars during the gravel trial. Yes, Oof. they're they're both fine. Cars are not great, but everybody was fine. Was this due um, to extra slippy conditions and and people just like not having chill? Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we're like we're like it's not like this. <laughs> like this, this yeah. <laughs> like this does not usually happen. 
Without naming names, what cars rolled? Uh, RAV4 and a newer WRX hatch. Okay. A RAV4 seems like a case for a rally car that would roll. Yeah. I mean, we were actually just talking, a little side note here, on the Discord about RAV4s and how they've never built a RAV4 that can pass a moose test. Yeah. They all fail the moose test. So it yeah. seems like a poor choice for a rally car. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's a reason they don't allow vehicles like that at rally crosses. You'd be surprised what they allow. They didn't used to. They used to be pretty... Like I've seen people running trucks and stuff. They, yeah, markers. they used to run pickup trucks and stuff that had more suspension travel, but like unibody-based CUVs weren't allowed for a while, I thought. Due to this exact issue. Well, anyway, <laughs> that it sucks. I'm, gl- I'm glad they're okay. I'm glad it wasn't a big deal, but it sucks now they got to rebuild their car. So, yeah, it's like, uh, you know, rally sprints, uh, sorry, gravel trials are just like track days, like just chill a little bit. Like there's they nothing, are, to win but there is a win. everything to lose. But you can a, win, so people are going to go hard. Yeah. Well, we even in the beginning of the drivers' meeting, Scott Rally Dad was reminding everyone that it is a five dollar trophy, a five dollar right. trophy. Right. Are you gonna are you gonna wreck your car and spend thousands for a five dollar trophy? I mean, at the end of the day, winning New England Forest Rally is probably a fifteen dollar trophy. So. That's a little different because that's a full <laughs> it's a full stage rally. That's a lot harder. That's like multiple days. It's, sure. it's almost like an endurance event. I'm, I'm not taking anything away from the actual event itself. It's just if you're really just going to break it down to what you're winning in the end, then. Well, what you should use rally sprints for, and this is what they go over for in the driver's meeting, too. It's like this should be for you to get seat time and do car shakedown. Uh, right. Go for personal bests. But also, like, you know, maybe not go 10 tenths. Right. Go well, somebody misheard slower. that and they didn't go shakedown. They went upside down. So, yeah, it is what it is. Like I, 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 have, don't get me wrong. I would, go, I, I would go fast, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. People have rolled across, too. Absolutely. Yeah. And rally cross. But um, I don't know. Like, just know your limits. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well. Not everybody has not everybody has that same attitude, no, Andrew. So. No, no. And guess what? At the end of the day, they're fine, and the only person who's punished now is them because now they have to rebuild their car. Yeah, that's your. And it's funny because the sports car club in New Hampshire guy was asking, we were standing there, he's asking us. He's like, "Do you think like a a little championship for this would like make it better, or would make people try too hard?" And everybody's like, "Like, like people do want to win, but like, do we want them like going super hard?" You know, min-max and everything? I mean, as a spectator? Yes, I do. I mean, there's not much spectating. No, but... For, for gravel trial. I mean, I was saying maybe we should have a um, a mess-up trophy. <laughs> like, a shame trophy. Okay. Like, you win this if you roll your car in a gravel trial? Yeah. All right. Well, like I said, they, they already have a prize sitting in the garage right now, and it's uh, they do six months worth of work to put the car back together. So, 
Yeah. That's their that's I their mean, pride. one of the cars, it was like, it's a pretty expensive car, the, the Subaru. And I, Jordan and I were talking on the way home. I was like, yeah, I'd probably, if I'd done that, I'd, I'd probably just like hang it up, sell the thing and never do yeah. it again. <laughs> so I'd be pretty dejected. Yeah, I get it. I get it. But, you know, and you say this all the time too, like even just doing a track day, you could get yourself crossed up and go off and go I to could. the wall and I could, but it's not a $35,000 car. It was a $2,000 car. True. But his bank account could be uh, 37 times larger than yours. So he doesn't think of it. It could be. It it was also their second rally. Okay. So So, again, everything's relative, Andrew, right? I mean, when it is relative 16, 17, 18 years old, getting into real cars, it wasn't like, you never even thought about owning a rally car because it was so out of control. But now you could be like, I could probably yeah. put together a, a rally car in budget and enjoy it. So everything's relevant. Even, even what we we're talking about, like if you go to the Team O'Neill school, they don't start you in the Turbo WRX. They start you in the front wheel drive Fiesta. So, Aha, I see what you're saying. It was their second rally ever, and they were in a turbo yeah. wheel drive WRX. Yes. Got you. Got you. Well, yeah. like, I. If I were to do what Andy did and you start with the old golf. Yeah. If, uh, same, same as Jordan, him and Liz started in a golf moved. And then Jordan now has a rear wheel drive car, but still a non-turbo four cylinder. Um, I I think that if I were in your shoes in the New England region still, um, and I had the access to these events, I would say, sure, I'll go for a rally car and I will also use it in hill climbs. And I think that gives you enough use case. Um, and I would probably be that guy who would be like, I'm just going to drive it to the event, put a little hitch in the back, tow some tires, put some street tires on and go just hard enough to enjoy it. And just like we used to do with rally cross, know that if we do mess it up, well, we'll have to get towed home, but rarely will that happen. <laughs> so I, I think that's how I would handle it. And that's, that's how I picture myself in the future. If I ever do find that right, you know, era, correct Colt rally car, do some hill climbs track days, rally cross and, you know, if they ever do that kind of gravel trial here, which they won't, but that would be a uh, use case. I hope that someday someone comes up with a historic class. Um, I think the I problem, guess, I, I think the problem well, Andrew is, is that it's not enough interest in this country to make that work. Yeah. Well, you might be when I, when you hear what I'm about to tell you. So, you know, maybe instead of having them run at full race pace, maybe it's like, a fast TSD pace where there's like a, um, you know, they set like some attainable, but also quick speed that you could do on a closed course without letting someone go full out. Well, that's how the Dakar classic works. Yeah. I, I think that might be the way they would have to do it because apparently some of the older cars, uh, that have been grandfathered are eventually not going to be allowed to run anymore. Um, because they don't have enough room in an old car to put the proper uh, amount of cage in it. Right. Which is also so, a little bit silly because the old car is not going to go nearly as fast as the new car. If you keep it like rule wise, yes, like the old car has to be pretty correct and engine wise too. So the car is not going to go that fast. You know, we don't know that speed is the only factor to injuries though. It's just like a tree oh, is still true. a tree. No, it's um, true. I just, I don't know. And the and the issue is that you can't get enough distance for the extra bars that you need now 
right in an old cockpit of a car exoskeleton cage cars yeah yeah. Well, then that well, kind of so they'll be the relegated to car. <laughs> yeah, would not be good. So they'll be relegated to like exhibition. You can do a sprint course openers and yeah. A, a, sorry, a gravel trial. Um, but that's what I'm saying. If you could do like a Dakar classic rules or you're still, you know, chooching along at a decent, decent pace. But it's yeah, not, uh, again, I think the biggest issue is every competitor that enters that class is one less potential competitor for the rally and they're already scrambling for enough entrance as is i think is probably the issue there yeah well we'll see you don't have to do a historic rally in every state you could have one sure in one place <laughs> sure no listen, i'm i'm 100 behind the idea i'm not i'm not poo-pooing it i'm just uh being devil's advocate i guess i'd love to see it i'd totally go see it i mean they do have a classic class at the Targa Newfoundland, which is not too, too far from new England. And there's a lot of cars that come from all over the world for that. Mm-hmm. So who knows? And those cars go hard. <laughs> yeah. So, so anyway, yeah, cool event. Um, and this coming weekend is supposed to be Japanese car day at Lars Anderson. Um, and they're talking about another coastal storm coming through with a Sweet. lot of rain. So well, it's a good thing that Lars Anderson Museum is about 1.2 miles from the coast. So you should be fine. Yeah, it's uh, I know it's only Monday. It's almost a week out, but I don't know. The forecasts lately are pretty accurate. Does Lars do rain dates or do they do rain or shine? I forget. They've done it rain or shine, uh, but honestly, like I am so over rainy weekends. Like I am just done. I'm not worried about the car. I don't care about the car being in the rain. I've driven all the cars in the rain. I just don't don't want to be in the rain rain and walk on wet grass. It's just like not enjoyable. Well, you know, it's not too late, Andrew. You can probably get a nice ticket here because uh, this weekend here is uh, Radwood Phoenix. I mean, I know if I start driving now, I can make it there in three days. I mean, you can make it here in five hours by airplane. It's pretty a little bit more efficient. So, but I can't bring my car. I have plenty. <laughs> no stress. I got you, I got you covered, Andrew. <laughs> you can experience the Corolla firsthand, <laughs> uh, or the Mercor, or the nine forty four, or the Sapporo, or the Cressida, or whatever you want to drive. Um. Yeah. No. Fly on out. See you. See you this weekend. Um. So yeah. So this weekend is Radwood Phoenix. If you're in the West Coast listening audience, uh, and they just announced actually that uh, Mobile One is going to have the Huna Pegasus on display there, which is kind of neat, neat actually. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty neat. I I have seen it before. I happened to see it at uh, SEMA last year, but it's not uh, a super common thing for people to have seen. And it'll be cool, I'm sure, some Ken Block tribute stuff. And I know that the Radwood crew has put together. A uh, limited edition poster, which I'm gonna try to snag one for myself, and probably you, Andrew, if uh, you're looking for one. If I could try to get one, so I'd like to add that to my uh, Radwood poster collection for my eventual future garage build in the backyard. So that should be an excellent weekend. It's the uh, finale of the ridiculous three weekends in a row of car events that I had out here because. Much like you were complaining about all the car events being the same weekend in yeah 
Massachusetts, it happened here. It was like bing, bang, bang, three in a row, rally, <laughs> Williams show, and then Radwood all in a row. Um, and I'm actually, I'm a little burnt out from prepping cars. Uh, I got a lot to do in four more days. And I almost didn't record tonight because I wanted to get stuff done in the record. But I was like, you know what? We should record because I'll get more done, a little more fresh tomorrow because I am not awake today after going to Williams, leaving Friday, going to Williams, show Saturday, coming home Sunday. We had a child's birthday party for our nephew yesterday. And then after that, we went to the Avenged Sevenfold show last night. So <laughs> we've been going nonstop until right as soon as we end this podcast. What is it, 2004? Right when I crash hard in bed until morning. So, And on top of all that, today was my first day at my new job as a full-fledged employee and no longer in training. So it was a, it was a, it's been a busy one. So I'll be glad when it's over. And today's recovery day because tomorrow I have to go hard on the Mercor. Um, I need to get the exhaust taken care of for sure. I need to get the wheels cleaned up and some tires on them, the OEM wheels, and get it all ready for this coming Saturday. So also need to detail the 944 because it's just been being driven and used and not cleaned. So there's a, and get the Zipporah. The Zipporah hasn't moved since March. So battery charged up and get that thing, uh, oil change. And also it's under a cover in the garage. So it's not dirty, but need to get it cleaned up and get it going. So busy week ahead of me for Radwood. So I would, uh, yeah, I pulled the Gallant out. Certainly encourage you to fly out and, and join because I need help anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I got the Glant out of the garage because it needs a sticker because I haven't driven it since last year trying to take it to Lars Anderson when it blew a brake line the oh, right. uh, weekend before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's literally been sitting in the garage ever since. And the sticker expired because I forgot. Oops. So I took it out, washed it. I'll try to take it in the morning tomorrow. So at least it'll have a sticker in case I do want to take it. Yeah, in case it doesn't rain. Yeah. Uh, I'll think if it does. That's a great show. I mean, it's it's the only all-Japanese show on the East Coast that I'm aware of. So I mean, people will still go. It's like, uh, you know, maybe we'll see. We'll see how rainy it's going to be. If it's going to be like kind of misty, maybe I'll just take the Montero. I, I will say that... The added benefit to a rainy car show is less people are there and it's easier to take pictures and the pictures are way more dynamic with the dark skies and water droplets. So it is neat for that. Yeah. Well, I don't know. You said you've got a lot of car stuff to get done, so I think we should call that an episode. Yeah, it literally doesn't matter if you hang up an hour later because as soon as we hang up, it's uh, bedtime for me. <laughs> I'm All running right. on running on empty here. <laughs> All right, fine. Just, uh, you know, give up. Come on. I'm going to give up on this Monday. 100%. No no question. This Monday is over. Tuesday throughout the prep. Monday is... Whew. Yep. Bedtime. Bedtime, bedtime. Anyway, uh, please join us on Discord. Uh, hit up either Andrew or I in any of our Instagram channels for an invite to the Discord page. Uh, it is continuing to grow and more people are being added uh all the time um good conversation 
um, trying to figure out what kind of car the power headlights are on today that one of our friends is driving around in Europe. Can't quite figure that out, but come on and help us out with that. He's not telling us until one of us gets it right. Oh, he won't tell you? Oh, I missed that part. It's not a Lotus Elan. That's all we know so far. Oh, okay. Um, yep. All right. Um, yeah, so join us in Discord. Hit us up on our Instagrams, which are mine are TSISS350. You can find me there, or you can find me on Scale Autocast, posting pictures of much smaller versions of real cars. Uh, Andrew, where can they find you? I'm on Instagram, Race and Anger, and uh, yeah, off top of podcast on Instagram. So, Excellent. Yeah, it's both go. of us. So. Anyway, yeah, well, uh, thanks for listening. Andrew, take it away. As always, keep your cars analog and aim for the roses. <laughs>